It's been 413 days. 413 days that I've had the pleasure of watching a young lady grow and learn and laugh and watching a young lady who has learned so much, uh, watching a young lady learn to love her grandpa. I mean, she loves other people too. But this particular young lady, she has a very special love for her grandpa. Uh, she loves others as well. But, you know, just about every day, uh, our daughter Megan and son-in-law Ryan will send us pictures or videos of Ruby's latest accomplishments. And we see all the smiles and we see the, you know, we see the things that she's exploring and the foods that she's trying and all of those wonderful things. And this past week, Trish and I, all of us watched with big smiles as we watched Ruby take her first steps. Uh, kind of staggering a little bit. Kind of walked like her great-grandpa did a time or two. Anyway, just kind of kind of toddling along there, toy in each hand as she made her way across the living room. And we rejoiced, we cheered, we said, yay, Ruby, go Ruby. But I think every one of us realized there's no stopping her now. <laughs> Those feet are working. She's walking. There's, there's no stopping her. And over the past 413 days, she has needed an awful lot from her parents and from her caregivers, and from her grandparents. We have fed her. Some of them have changed her. I haven't. That's fine. Uh, we have fed her. I taught her patty cake, and she loves patty cake. We've carried her, but now those legs, those legs are carrying her. And I wonder if we need to remind it at Christmas about the, the helpless little baby there in the manger. I wonder if we need to be reminded at Christmas, uh, that baby whose parents loved him, that baby whose parents cared for him, who changed him and fed him, that he grew up and he walked, he, looked, he was able to care for himself, and he continues to care for us. One of the reasons we've gone back this Advent season to before Jesus' birth, before the manger, before the Christmas story, we've gone back so that we can see who Jesus is in eternity. He is the image of the invisible God. We have read, by Him all things were created. In Him all things hold together. And we've been reminding ourselves that this baby in the manger, this man, this God, He holds us together. And that takes us today to what I think is just one of the most beautiful letters that we have in the New Testament. And a beautiful introduction in that letter. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you want to follow along in that blue Bible in front of you, it's page 1001. Hebrews chapter 1. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, I'm sorry, Jeopardy got it wrong a few weeks ago. If you're a Jeopardy fan, final Jeopardy question pertained to the author of Hebrews, and they proclaimed who is the Apostle Paul. And uh, that's not right. Your, our Bibles don't tell us who wrote Hebrews, but I can almost guarantee it's not Paul. It doesn't seem to follow his style. Who is it written to? Hebrews, thank you. Someone's paying attention. But which Hebrews? Well, that's a good question. What, he, what group of Hebrews was this, was this written to? Uh, obviously, Hebrew believers, Jewish believers in Jesus... And I would suggest that they are Jewish believers in Jesus who are, who are discouraged, who are 
drifting away from their faith and drifting back into some old habits, old habits that felt at one time, these old habits felt significant to them. And the temptation to repeat those old rituals, those animal sacrifices that they had, pre- that they had previously done to, to, as an attempt to feel holy, to feel clean, to feel acceptable to God. And I think that's important. It's important understanding this letter to the Hebrews. But honestly, what does any of that have to do with you and me? When we're stressed, we tend to go back to the things that we felt comfort in in the past when we were younger. And while that's probably not sacrificing a sheep on an altar for you and me, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but but that's definitely not where I find comfort. It might be that we find comfort in that old mindset that says, I have to do this myself. I have to take care of myself. No, I have no one else to rely on. And so it becomes, our salvation becomes about our abilities to save ourselves. It becomes about what I have. Well, my wealth, my possessions, my understanding, or my own goodness. And then it's about me taking care of me, and then it's got to be about me taking care of you because you certainly need my help also. I can fix you. I can help Ruby to walk faster, to run. But you see, none of that is faith. Faith always points us to Jesus. Faith is never going to point us to ourselves. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4. through Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the Word. Of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is a fascinating four verses. In the original Greek, those four verses are one sentence. Can you imagine? Just one long run-on sentence. The author starts this letter off with a bang and points us to the supremacy of Christ. That He is above all. He is above angels. He is above. He's especially above us. And that seems to be the lesson we need to learn over and over again. Because sometimes, sometimes we get the idea that Jesus needs our help. That Jesus needs us to to help him out. Here we are approaching Christmas, and the the central image, of course, is the the birth of Jesus. Our focus is on him as a child, him vulnerable, him surrounded in, in poverty. I think back to when I first became a Christian when I was in high school, and I think back to what was likely the first theological debate that I ever got into. And it surrounded the Christmas song. It surrounded the song, uh, Away in a Manger. You know the song, Away in a Manger? There's that line in Away in a Manger. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. Really? I mean, I've been around a lot of newborn infants. Every one of them cry. 
Why would we think that Jesus didn't cry? Why would we think no crying he makes? There's no reason to think otherwise of Jesus. Yes, here he is, God in the flesh, but he is God in the flesh crying, God in the flesh hungry, God in the flesh soiled and needing change, God in the flesh cranky and needing some more food and tired and needing a nap. God desperately in need of someone to care for him. That's Christmas. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the humanity and, the, and the, the vulnerability of Jesus that we forget who He is in eternity, who He has always been. And right from the very first verse here in Hebrews, the author wants us to realize Jesus is very different. Long ago, many, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You know, in the past, God's people would mess up and the prophets would roll into town. They'd come in with a new message. Repent! Change your ways! Uh, they would come in with a message of God's judgment, of, God, of doom on the people. How the people had failed to keep, God's pro- keep their promises to God. And God was going to call them to suffer. He was going to send them into exile. He was going to teach them a lesson. But now, but now, there is something different. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son through whom he appointed whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world now hear me that that's big through whom he created the world and if god can accomplish his mission his creation through jesus alone why do we sometimes get the idea that jesus needs us to help him save us That somehow I've got to pitch in and lend a hand so that Jesus can save me like somehow my sin is so bad or I'm such a rotten person uh, that I'm going to have to make up for what Jesus lacks. And when that becomes our attitude, I, I can never truly know peace. I can never truly know the peace of His forgiveness because I can't forgive myself for what I've done in the past. And if I can't let go of that, then I'm always going to feel like I have failed him. Formerly, God spoke by the prophets, but now through his son, and we hear him. And what does his son tell us? He says to that woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He says on that night before his crucifixion, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And while it's vital that we understand His birth, His infancy, and and His vulnerability in human form, that He emptied Himself, taking on the form of of a man, don't mistake that for weakness in His sufficiency for you. And what the beginning of Hebrews shows us is that Jesus is greater than we can even begin to understand. I mentioned earlier, these four verses form one very long run-on sentence. The author has so much information to get out that he just fills these verses with images of who Jesus is. He draws us in with this description of who Jesus is and he invites us to wonder, to be overwhelmed by His glory. Verse 3 continues on. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Within these verses here, 
There are seven descriptions of who Jesus is in these verses. Seven descriptions of his identity. Uh, can you count them all? Yeah, you know, we can count to seven. We can get there. Can you understand them all? Not a chance. There's no way you'll ever wrap your brain around all of these. They will overwhelm you. They will fill you with wonder and awe at Jesus. Seven descriptors of who he is. The first one is there in verse two. He is the heir of all things. In other words, he has the place of the father. The next one is through whom the world was created. Takes us back to John chapter one, verse three. We looked at two weeks ago. By him, all things were made and through him, there was nothing made that was made. Verse 3 then continues on. He is the radiance of God's glory. He reflects God's glory to us. It goes on and says, He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. That word imprint, it comes from the idea of striking a, an image on a coin. I have a penny here. This is an actual penny. It's bigger because of inflation. Anyway, there's the image of a president on. If I want to know what Abraham Lincoln looks like, I just reach in my pocket, pull out a penny, and like, well, that's him right there. That's Abraham Lincoln. Now in Jesus' day, of course, we would he would pull out a you'd pull out a coin and say, Well, that's Caesar. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. You'd see Caesar. And you look at it and go, Yep, that's Caesar. I recognize the nose, I recognize the eyes, I recognize the jaw. That's Caesar right there. I, I recognize him. And what the author is telling us is that Jesus is the exact imprint of God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what what the nature of God is, look at Jesus. Look at, look at His love. Look at His compassion. Look at His forgiveness. He says He is the upholder of the universe. He carries everything. He carries everyone to their ultimate end. He makes purification for our sins. He makes purification for our sins. Not the Hebrews with their rituals and their sacrifices. And not you and me with our self-reliance and our pulling ourselves up with our, by our bootstraps attitude. Jesus does that for us. In fact, He is the only one who can do that for us. And because He's done that, He now sits down at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty on high, because it is finished. Because the payment for your sin is done. Later in the letter to the Hebrews, the author will remind them that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. And I think He would remind you and me that Jesus has done what we never could. And with those words on the cross, those final words on the cross, it is finished. We were forgiven. And so these seven overwhelming descriptions of Jesus are here at the beginning of Hebrews to remind us of this central truth the central truth of Christmas, the baby in the manger is your eternal Savior. Little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. Well, it might make for a nice lyric. It kind of rhymes when you go through the song with that. But it's completely incongruous to how we know Jesus. We are told that He is a man of sorrows. One who is acquainted with suffering. The one who cried out, from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But also the One who now sits at the right hand of the Father. Sacrifice complete. He doesn't need our help to save us. All He calls us to do is trust Him for who He is. Trust Him for what He's done. For who He will always be. And this sentence wraps up there in the middle of verse 3 and on into verse 4. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I've noticed we tend to think about angels a lot. And sometimes we tend to think a lot of angels for that matter. If you read through the rest of this chapter, the author has a lot to say about angels. In fact, he'll say a little bit later, verse 6, he will say, let all of God's angels worship Him. In verse 14, he will tell us that angels are ministering spirits. They are, they are spirits sent to serve those who would inherit salvation. That's you and me. Angels are our servants. All through the Bible, though, we find those people who are tempted to worship angels. Even John, we get to Revelation. And John sees an angel, he bows down. The angel says, don't worship me, I'm a servant, just, just like you. But in Hebrews, in Hebrews, make no mistake, Jesus is to be the center of your worship. He is to be the focus of your faith. Because it's not an angel that went to the cross for you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who is the heir of all things, who is the radiance of God's glory, who is that exact imprint of God's image. It's Jesus who is the holder of the universe. He looked on you and He loved you and He gave Himself to you so that you could know forgiveness of sin, so that you could know a hope for eternity, so that you could simply know Him. Our faith in Jesus points to that gift, a gift of eternal life that the One who created everything created you for Himself. The One who sustains the universe also sustains you. The One who offered Himself as purification for sin, He offers you a place in His home, in His heaven, and in His heart. I'm going to sing a song in a couple of minutes. A song that calls us back to Bethlehem. A song that reminds us that the, uh, the, the manger in Bethlehem cradles a king. But make, make no mistake about who this king is and who this king has always been. He is everything that these verses declare. And yet, He is so much more than that. And on top of that, He loves you. He cares for you. He forgives you. Whatever it is in your life, Whatever it is in your life that tells you you're not worthy of that. Or whatever it is that has lied to you and said that you're not good enough. Whoever it is that has treated you in such a way to make you feel not worthy, even if that person happens to be you. Or that, or, or that, that feeling, that sense that you've had that, that you can save yourself, that you don't need His help. I want you to listen to Jesus. Listen to the One who went to the cross for you. And listen to the One who said those words. It is finished. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing our song and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. And Father, we, we come this time of year to remember the sending of Your gift. To remember the manger. To remember the humility to remember Jesus coming to us and the fulfillment of that promise that a virgin would give birth and that they would call Him Emmanuel, God with us. Well, Father, it's not just the manger. We also have to come and remember the cross. Remember His gift as He hung there. Remember His promise to the 
thief next to him that today you'll be with me in, in paradise. And to remember him saying, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, we still don't know what we do. We still struggle to know ourselves and to know our sin and to know the gift that you have for us. Lord, we come again to the table and we sum it up this way. Here is the body broken for us. Here is the blood shed for our forgiveness of sins. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your perfect gift of your son. We see him in the manger, but we long to see him sitting next to you, knowing that his work of salvation is complete and that we are his. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.